the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. But not actually give what the real word means, immersion, plunge, or well. So that's how the word baptizo, which means well, plunge, change into the word baptism. Number two. When you um, see baptism, the question is, is what mode of baptism? You have the word sprinkle, you have the word pour, and you have the word plunge, immerse, like we said. The word baptize is used at another time in Scripture when they washed pots and pans. They baptized pots and pans. How many of you have pots and pans and plates being baptized in your sink as you're here? They're still in the water, all right? They haven't resurrected yet. Anyway, that's, that's another story. So what you need to know that there is no um, illustration of sprinkling. There is no illustration of Scripture of pouring The word itself means to immerse. And if you do run it through other scripture, you will find when Jesus himself was baptized, he had to go from a long distance to a place where there was much water. Quoting scripture, there was much water there. It said he went down into the water. Now, if you want to, you can wiggle that a little bit. He went down knee deep and they poured it. You know, that's really stretching it out there. But there was plenty of water that they did. And the word itself means to immerse. So now, when we talk about water again, we're going to talk about that. But in this context, remember Spirit is the main thought. Let's go back now to water for just a moment. You'll hear in the weeks to come the phrase identification principle. The word identific- or the term identification principle is a hermeneutics that will show you that when something is taught that it's identified with something else. And in this context, the identification principle is what Jesus went through, we went through that with him when we trusted Christ. Remember, this is to believers. And so now it's the identification principle. So when it says, when Jesus died, we died with him. We identified with his death. When he was buried, I didn't, I didn't go in any tomb, but I identified with his death because I was, in a sense, with him. Identification with him. When he rose again, of course, to the heavenly resurrection life, although in this context, I think it's the earthly resurrection life. Going back to that is, I identify with Christ. Now, remember a moment ago I said to look at the word we were baptized into Christ? I believe now we're talking about Christ and we're baptized, we are immersed in him when we trust Christ as Savior. Many of you have been here long enough that have seen me do this illustration and I'll do it again in case you haven't. We're going to let my Bible represent Jesus Christ and we're going to let this piece of paper here represent me, you, me, okay? If I stood before the Lord with um, my righteousness, I'd be pretty dirty. And since it's me, I'm going to put some more dirt on it. Okay? 
If I died and I stood before him like this, I'd be separated from him for all eternity. I wouldn't even get before him, actually. Now, let's say I think I have to be good, so I clean myself off. I try to live a good life. I look a little better, but when I stand before him, it's not so much that God sees my sin. What he sees me, he sees my righteousness, which Isaiah says is a filthy rag. Now, watch very carefully. When, my pl- when I place my faith in Christ, write this in your margin, Revelation, excuse me, Philippians 3, 9. When I place my faith in Christ, I then am now in Christ because I have been placed into Christ. When I trusted Christ as my Savior, in a sense, I have been immersed in Christ. So it's when Jesus died, I died with him. When he rose again, I rose with him because I had been baptized into him. And watch this, watch this. And water had nothing really to do with it. Water is kind of like something I can see. It's something that I can visualize. It's more of a symbol. But don't make the symbol the fact. It's nothing more than just a symbol. The fact is, by my faith alone in him, I am now in him. Another reference is Ephesians that says that I've been accepted in the beloved one. For those of you that want to do more, look at the phrase in Christ or in him and count how many times just in the writings of Paul that phrase is found indicating that I place my faith in Christ. I am now in Christ. I've been baptized into Christ. And so when I look in water, water does nothing more than it shows me that I am immersed in the water with Christ. Okay, And I come out of the water with Christ. But water isn't the key thought here. It's into Christ. Watch this. The person and the work of Jesus Christ, of what he's done for me on the cross. Now let me make this clear for some of you that are really trying to make sense of this. It doesn't mean that I helped Christ go to the cross. It doesn't mean that I helped him come back to life again. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that he accepted me. It was a choice that he has made. And when I trusted him as Savior, he then made all of that happen. It's all of him, not of me. So when I'm baptized into Christ, it's all what he has done for me. Now, stay with me on this thought. This is really cool. I just thought about this the other day, and it's like, duh, should have known this. I don't do anything to get into Christ for salvation. That's justification. And watch this. As a believer in Christ through sanctification, I need Christ as well. I need him over here, and I need him over there. In my whole life, my whole life is Christ because without Christ, I wouldn't be saved. Watch this. And without Christ, I would never be sanctified. I'll never be growing in grace because it's all of Christ and what he does in and through me. So everything is of Christ. So when you hear all of these truths, I want you to go home and just worship Jesus. Just worship him for what he's done. And he just didn't give us, you got fire insurance. No. We have a new life that's in him. So... What happens? I've been placed in Christ. The identification principle. How precious that is. Now, let me... I've got to watch the clock. I'm going to finish this. I've got to say this. Next week, we're baptizing. Since baptism is a symbol of us being baptized by the Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, since we have been baptized into Christ by the Spirit and that water baptism is something that we do as a believer to show it's an outward sign of an inward act, if you have, and by the way, if Paul chose to use baptism as a word to explain immersion and done by the Spirit, but yet these folks would know that water was involved in the symbolic part of it, it has nothing to do with their sanctification in any direct way other than doing it in obedience to him. The point of the matter is still being, have you been baptized? And he never explained baptism in any part of that, whether it's symbolic or whatever, 
to get saved or to prepare to get saved or even to stay saved. It's something you do once you are saved. So have you been baptized yet by immersion? Watch this. Since you have trusted Christ. Now, you women, you sometimes wear two rings, okay? Um, One ring is the engagement ring. The second ring is your wedding ring. You wear the engagement ring before you get married and some women remove their engagement ring and only put their wedding ring on. Some will wear both, of course. But I didn't wear a wedding ring until I got married. Carol didn't wear her wedding ring until she got married. Now, some guys think that they have three rings, engagement ring, wedding ring, and suffering, but that's not the case, all right? Just relax, just relax, all right? So the baptism part by immersion is something, watch this, it's so beautiful. That happens by water after I have been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, into Christ by faith alone. So if you have not been baptized by immersion, let me tell you, it's symbolic through Scripture, it's taught through Scripture, it represents what you have done when you placed your faith in Christ and all that it means to that. And later on we're going to learn that it means that you're going to walk in a new life or at least want to, have the power to because you're now living your life with Christ, living his life out through you. Next Sunday is a golden, God-given opportunity because we don't have a baptistry. We don't run every Sunday to the beach. And so we have carved out times when people can be baptized by immersion as long as they give a witness that they have trusted Christ as their Savior by faith alone and now they want to go public with it. And if you haven't done that, I encourage you to talk to um, Pastor Dennis or to me afterwards. Now let me make this clear because I'm not a manipulator. I didn't plan this message because um, we're baptizing next week. I just, it just flowed together on the calendar with this which might also mean that God sovereignly put this together so that you have the timing to hear this and can immediately next week become baptized. That'd be something you might want to do. Now again, this context is talking about baptized into Christ and we know the only God person that does that is the Spirit of God. Let's go to number two and then number three and we'll call it pow for today. All right, when Christ died, my old sin nature, and I don't really like the word nature there. I did it because a lot of you will understand the word nature. If you want to change that, I would put my old sin self, my old sinful self. That which was all about sin in my life. I was driven by sin. I was dominated by sin. I lived for sin knowing this, that our old sin self was crucified with him. I like that, was crucified. I don't crucify myself. I don't make myself to be crucified in verse 6. My old sin self was crucified with him by the Spirit of God. So that happened in the past in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Now, I don't like that in the New American and some other translations because it leaves the impression that once I trust Christ as Savior, I am now sinless. And there's a lot of people that believe that once you're saved, you don't sin any longer. The answer to that is you're right. You don't sin any longer in the eyes of God, but you still sin on this earth and God still sees that. And so here it means rendered powerless. It's done away with. So the body of the sin is, does not have to have power over me. Why? So that we would no longer be slaves to sin like we were before. Before, sin had such a power over us that it was hard to say no to sin. But we who trusted Christ as Savior, we have a power source in us, and that's the Holy Spirit. For he who has died is freed from sin and all of its ramifications. When uh, we go to a funeral and you see a, a deceased loved one in front of you, you know already that that 
person can no, can no longer do any good works. That person can no longer be subject to sinful temptations to do sin and wickedness. And the reason is, is because they have died. All right? When you trusted Christ as Savior, we now have died in Christ. So positionally, sin has no more dominion over us. Practically, though, it still does. And that's why he says he wants our practice to live toward our position that's in Christ. And that's what we're studying here. And I hope we get that. And there are a lot of references on it, and I've given you some already so that you'll understand. We've already died with him, but we still die daily as we live our life out for him. Let me give you number three. The third and last one for this morning is, Christ's resurrection has guaranteed my ultimate victory. Christ's resurrection has guaranteed my ultimate victory. Look in verses 8 through 10, because these verses kind of summarize verses 1 through 7. It says, now, if we have died with Christ, and the word if there in the Greek is a particular construction that really means, now, since we have died with Christ, and we died with him, not so much exactly when he died, we died with him when we trusted Christ as Savior, so positionally we did die with him 2,000 years ago. We believe that we also shall live with him. I like that phrase, because it also means to live because of him, with him, for him, all right? All of the idea is we're living in the realm of Christ. Knowing that Christ have been raised, and you might want to circle that phrase, having been raised, just like Jesus Christ came back to life, raised from the dead, he didn't stay dead. It says he is never to die again. Underline that. He is never to die again. I'll come back to that in a moment. Death no longer is a master over him. You might say, wait, how could death be a master over Christ? If you remember, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I fulfilled the Father's will, which is to come to seek and to save that which was lost. That phrase, save, is found in this passage because in order to save us, he had to submit himself to death. And so death at that time had to reign over him. It was a master over him in the sense that he had to go through that death experience for us on the cross. So when Jesus died, he didn't swoon, he didn't pass out. He was dead, 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 because he was a servant to the reigning death that he had to face for you and me. But once he died, there was no longer the need to die again So death had no more rule and reign over him any longer because of the resurrection that he had, the resurrection life, and that now we have that with him so death doesn't reign over us. So physically, yeah, we're going to die, but the real us, remember we talked about a couple weeks ago, the real us, we will never die. Let's go back to the passage. It goes on to say, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died on the cross, he died to sin once for all. Will you circle that? Once for all. Now draw a line between the phrase never to die again and once for all. And I'll finish up with that phrase at the end in a moment. Those of you that are coming from a a Roman Catholic background, I want you to know that I really love you and that's what we're here is just to give you what Scripture is saying and to interpret in its fullness to you without it running through a grid of denominations and religions. So most of you that have some type of a Roman Catholic understanding, you will know that Mass is often the re-crucifixion of Christ again, where he dies again for their sin or for whatever that, that dynamic is, and that he rose again. Those who are understanding Scripture will understand from the book of Hebrews and other places that when Jesus died, watch this, we know he died once, we know he did, there's no other crucifixes out there, we, we get all of that, but there is no symbolicness of Christ dying again for us because he died once, 
No more deaths. And then it says, and he died for all. That means all those that are going to be part of his forever family by faith alone. He died for them. He died for you and me. So he died once and for all. And then he resurrected as he's doing all of this so that what? We now who have died with him and rose again, we can... What? This is so beautiful. Just like he will never die, we will never die. Just like he lives this powerful life that there will be no more death over him, we have no more death over us. So death will not take Christ any longer and death will not take us any longer. Physical death we're talking about. All right? We'll still be separated from our body. But the real us will always stay connected to the Lord. So while I look forward to the resurrection in the future, meaning that he's going to take me to heaven, I get all of that. That's the glorification. I don't want it to sound like he saved us and he left us to just suffer until we get that. No, he says, I'm in your life. And yes, physically, emotionally, you might go through some really tough times, but you can still have that resurrected, wonderful, glorious, victorious life in me knowing that you have a new life because of what I've done for you on the cross. Because now my life is your life. And that's why whatever we go through, hey, I know it's bad, but we have heaven. We've got Christ. We have a reason for us going through all of this to bring glory and honor to him in every, every special way. The last phrase of the verse is this in verse 10. But the life that he lives, he lives again unto God, the reason for the Lord, in the presence of God, for the glory of God. But the life that he lives is for his Father. So I come back to you and me now. He did all of that positionally. We got it all. It's all free. We enjoy all of that because we have eternal life. But now practically, that's the truth. He didn't live for the Lord. Are you living for the Lord right now? I mean, really living for the Lord. The things that you choose to do, if you ask yourself, does this bring glory unto you? Lord, the decisions I make, do I bring you into my decision-making process? Do I run it through the grid of Scripture? Do I go to godly men and women who might be able to show me the Word? Not that they have a voice from God that they hear that I don't. It's that they'll point me to the Word for biblical principles and what I should do and how I should do that. Lord, everything I do, I want to now live for you. I don't want to just die for you. I want to live for you. And you can because you've trusted Christ as Savior. So all that we talked about is positional truth and practical truth. Today was all the position in this context, the great three great details The next time we get together, we're going to talk about the three great deeds in this passage. Now, some of you are going to think, oh, he's going to say, pray, read your Bible, go to church. I'm so far removed from that because I want you to know the biblicalness underneath all of that that God really wants to see you. If you get these three truths that I'll teach the next time we're together, the rest of the stuff will start coming into focus. They'll kind of fall into place like marbles on a Chinese checkerboard. It's all going to come together. Six, seven, and eight. But you had to know these positional truths. Let's uh, bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment, if we will. I pray right now that you'll take a moment between you and the Lord and just be able to come clean before Him. He came into this world to save sinners, as Paul said, of whom I am chief. Now, He'll do the work part by going to the cross, dying, being buried, resurrecting. He does all of the work part. And he now gives it to us to do the believing part. So you know the truth now that Jesus died and he rose again. You know the truth that good works won't get you to heaven. You know the truth that it's by faith alone and Christ alone. You know the truth that when you trust in Christ you were planted and immersed into Christ. 
you know the truth that your old propensity for those kinds of sinfulness and selfishness was crucified with him positionally. You know that truth positionally. You know that his resurrection guaranteed that you can have a victorious life now. It doesn't mean a life without problems, but it does mean a life with a problem solver in it, who's Christ. But now will you consider it? Will you place your faith in it? Will you believe it to be true for you now and realize you come to him as a sinner in need of a savior? And you might say something like this, although even prayers don't get you to heaven, it's that, it's that mental transaction with your heart, mind, soul, a full confidence in him. Say, Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I know that I do not deserve to have eternal life. I know that I don't deserve to have you in my life. But Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done for me on the cross because by what you have done, I am counting on you. I'm considering you as my Savior forever. And even in the midst of saying all of that, he already knew your heart because you were framing that mindset before you even spoke those words in your mind to him. You are transferring your faith from yourself or religion or good works and you're placing it in Christ. That's true repentance. And Jesus says, he that believes on me has everlasting life. My dear friend, I would like to pray for you. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand if you're trusting Christ. Walking in the aisle, filling out a card, raising your hand doesn't get you into heaven. Neither did me praying for you. But I do want to talk to the Lord with you. I believe in him with all my heart. And I want to celebrate what just happened between you and the Lord when you trusted him as Savior. And when I pray for you, I'm not going to mention your name in my prayer. Your time and going public with all of that is something you should do. But I'm not going to pull you and force you into that. I just want to just welcome you into God's forever family. So there be anyone here today that recognizes their sinfulness and yet realizes God's forgiveness totally. His death was once and for all. It's a done deal. Paid and canceled. And now you want to trust Christ as Savior. So if you've trusted Christ and you'd like for me to pray for you, no one looking around, would you slip up your hand right now if you're trusting Christ as your Savior? Never done it before. You're doing it right now. Christians, take this message so that the world will know it and hopefully by your passionate and caring and careful explanation they will then believe it to be true then and then they'll act upon it by placing their faith in Jesus Christ I pray that that will be the case I, I truly do Now, for the rest of you that know Christ as Savior, you might want to thank him for something now. You might want to take a moment and thank the Lord that when you became a believer, you were placed, immersed in Christ. Nothing had to do with water. That's an outward sign of something. But the moment you trusted Christ, you were placed into Christ, and Christ will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will not cast you out. He will not lose you. You're kept by his power. Thank him for that. Maybe you want to thank him that when Christ died, your old self was crucified with him. And that you know that your old self being crucified with him so that sin might not reign and be powerful in your life, but could be actually rendered powerless. So you don't have to be a slave to whatever that is in your life that you know, you know is not pleasing to the Lord. 
Would God be doing what you're doing? Would Christ be doing that? Would he be saying that, thinking that? No. And I know that's powerful. Sin is powerful. But when you trust Christ as Savior, it's rendered powerless. But now we're going to learn what you do to live that victorious life. Thank God that not only for Christ's death, but for his resurrection. Because it was that resurrection proof that he paid the sin price, victory over death, Satan, that proves to you because you died and were resurrected with him of ultimate victory. And so you can already celebrate that whatever's holding you back now, that you have victory in Christ and it doesn't have to have that power over you. Your method is faith. Your source is Christ. Your explanation is God's word. Your motivation is the glory of God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for these truths. I'm especially grateful for a church like this who want to know this truth so they can live this truth and share this truth and exalt you with this truth. So, Father, I ask now that we will remain humble and teachable to continue growing in this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.